BAM Radio Network. Some teachers get to the point where that, you know, a teenager rolls her eyes and the teacher says, that's it. That's the last time you're disrespecting me. Go to the office. And then the outcome is that the kid is thrown out of class. Emotions really are our friends. And the more we can understand and partner with them, the more energy we'll have to create equitable schools and stay in the profession for as long as we want and be the teacher or the leader that we want to be. Welcome to ASCD Connect, supporting your journey as a life-changing educator. Here's your host. With staffing shortages, ongoing health and safety concerns, and new pressures around student academic and emotional challenges, this has been a difficult, draining school year for many educators. How can you cultivate resilience in these circumstances? I'm Anthony Rabora, the Editor-in-Chief of ASCD's Educational Leadership. I'm happy to be joined today by Elena Aguilar author of several groundbreaking books, including Onward, Cultivating Emotional Resilience in Educators, and Coaching for Equity. She's also a regular columnist for Educational Leadership, where she writes about educator resilience. Extremely timely topic in education right now. Welcome, Elena. So just briefly as background, you were a teacher uh, for many years and and became an instructional coach, I believe, in Oakland and a school leadership coach. How did resilience become such a big part of your work with educators? It's not something people commonly associate with instructional coaching, at least on a nuts and bolts level. Well, I saw such incredible turnover, such high rates of turnover as Mm. a teacher and then also as a coach that it felt like, what's the point of focusing on teaching teachers how to develop great formative assessment strategies or do incredible unit design when they quit midway through the year or at the end of the year. And then the next year, I'm just repeating the same PD or coaching focus with another new teacher. And it felt like if we're really going to transform schools and provide kids what they deserve, we've got to address the emotional state of the adults involved. Right. And it's become such a big topic. You were were way ahead of everybody. So Educators have been through a lot in the past couple of years, and I know we've been hearing, I'm sure you've been hearing that many teachers and leaders saying this school year is, is especially challenging. A lot of people in schools are really struggling right now. And you often talk about the intentional steps that educators can take to build resilience in difficult times. Can you give an example or two of steps like that? What do resilient educators you've encountered have in common in terms of the way they meet challenges? That's a great question. And there are dozens of things that resilient educators intentionally do. And so I'd say actually the first thing is that there there are actions that are taken with awareness. And so, for example, there are things that an educator might do, like identifying the bright spots or practicing gratitude. But they do those things with an understanding and awareness that this is actually what I need to do in order to shore up or refill my resilience so that I can be the teacher I want to be. So there's a connection between the action that's taken and the vision or commitment that the the teacher has. So you also say that resilient educators tend to set boundaries on their work uh, and and, uh, on their their demands. What advice do you have on doing that, given the demands that are on educators right now? And educators often really fierce commitment to doing everything they can for their students. How can they set boundaries in a healthy way? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are talking about setting boundaries, not just professionally, right? But it's harder to do because we are in a profession where we feel tremendous passion for what we're doing and we're dealing with young people and we want to offer them everything. And so it's not people who 
aren't skilled at setting boundaries. It's not that they don't desire. They just, I, I th sometimes I think they just don't know sort of the technical approach. And that involves prioritizing. It involves exploring our sense of self-worth and value. It involves looking deep at sort of what are the consequences of at times not having value. So setting boundaries is a process. It's a process in which we deserve to have someone to engage in it with, whether that's a coach or a friend, it's a reflective process. And it really is about sometimes taking a hard look at, you know, we just have a limited amount of energy and where is it going and what's the consequences or the impact of where it's going? And then is that truly what we want? You know, setting boundaries and saying no to essentially to something that might help a kid is hard. Right. So it really is a reflective process. That's very interesting. So in your most recent column in Educational Leadership's December issue, you talk about the importance of storytelling in building resilience the way the stories we tell to ourselves. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. We make meaning about everything that happens. And that's just sort of a human thing that we do. But that meaning we make can serve us or undermine us and serve our well-being and our resilience or undermine it. And so, for example, when a student rolls her eyes at a teacher, there are different kinds of meanings that we can make. We can say, she's so disrespectful. Nobody respects teachers. What am I doing in this profession? Or we could say, wow, that's really cool. This young person is learning how to navigate her emotions and express her emotions in a way that is not explosive or harmful. And so she's rolling her eyes. She must be experiencing, you know, maybe some frustration or I don't know, I wonder what's going on with her. So those are two different kinds of stories we can tell or meanings we can make over a, a teenager rolling her eyes. One of them will leave you feeling drained and kind of sad and defeated and powerless. And the other one leaves you feeling perhaps curious, maybe compassionate and perhaps empowered. And so there's a real distinction there. What I encourage teachers to do and folks to do is we're all going to tell stories. So tell empowering stories. What's a story that leaves you feeling more energized? Like you can take a next step, like you could do something, like you can turn to that teenager and say, hey, I noticed you were rolling your eyes. What's going on? So the other thing you, you focus a lot on is educational equity. I wanted to ask you this. What, what do you see as the connection between educator resilience and equity in schools? The connection is so tight that I don't think we should ever be talking about equity without talking about resilience or resilience without talking about equity. They are two sides of the same coin. They are conversations that need to be had in tandem with each other. So starting with, let's just start with equity then. Creating equitable schools will inevitably raise emotions. When we are looking at the history of education, when we are looking at our own histories as educators through an equity lens, we're going to have some feelings. We might have feelings of sadness, anger, shame, fear. Those feelings are going to come up. And part of what we have to do to cultivate our resilience is explore emotions. And when we actually explore them, they fuel us, they serve us. Emotions really are our friends. And the more we can understand and partner with them, 
the more energy we'll have to create equitable schools and stay in the profession for as long as we want and be the teacher or the leader that we want to be. So that's, that, that's just one. I mean, there's so many connections between the two. Um, it, and essentially, I suppose, in the end, it's all about we've got a limited amount of energy. How can we use it? How can we expand it? Where do we direct it? What do we do with the life that we have? Really interesting. That's probably something that's not talked about enough. How can school leaders best support educators in building resilience? Are there a couple of steps you can recommend? to help leaders set the conditions and the supports teachers need to engage in this kind of work? Oh, there's so many things that leaders can do. <laughs> um, too big a question, maybe. Let's say, okay, so in my December column, I write about how reflection can cultivate resilience. And I describe a process that I went through at the end of 2020 that I'm going to go through again at the end of 21. And it's a process that leaders could use themselves and also invite teachers into. It's a reflective process. And I would say one of the top things leaders can do is create opportunities for people to slow down and process and look back and identify their growth and their learnings and see the bright spots and acknowledge the emotions, the uncomfortable emotions, the sadness, the the fear, the exhaustion of the 2020 year and the 2021-22 school year, just giving people, I think people are leaders sometimes are afraid to give people a chance to pause and look backwards. Like if they look backwards, they're not going to keep going, but actually looking backwards and reflecting can make us feel much stronger. Like, wow, we got through that. We did all this. I learned that actually there were some good moments there. It makes us, it builds our confidence that we can deal with whatever is coming. So I would say create opportunities to slow down, to process, and for people to share their processing with each other. Um, so we're coming to the end of a calendar year, uh, again, in the midst of a very difficult school year for educators and leaders. What's a good resilience practice that you could recommend to help educators prepare for the new year, to feel a bit more empowered and a sense of agency? Look back at the last year and identify everything you learned, identify how you grew, identify the bright spots before you get to creating goals or resolutions or intentions or whatever you might do for the coming year. You need to sort of harvest all the learning that you did. And you did a lot of learning and pull those into thinking about the new year. Wonderful. Thanks for these great insights. And thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, to read more of Elena's columns for educational leadership and other articles, go to www.ascd.org. You've been listening to ASCD Connect, supporting your journey as a life-changing educator. Thanks for listening. This program is produced by Accretive Media for the BAM Radio Network. Thanks for listening.